0: You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. The story goes, there was a little boy who had just come out of church and he was standing on a street corner and he was so excited by what he had learned and so he began to shout for anyone who would hear it, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! God is great! And he just began to shout this over and over again. Well, about the same time, a science professor from the local college had been in a coffee shop near the church and he was coming out, walking back to his office to get ready for the next day's classes. And he stopped, amazed, looking at this crazy little boy who was sitting there, just almost like one of these little newspaper boys, like the picture I've got out there. But instead of newspapers, he had a little Bible in it and he just kept on shouting, Hallelujah, hallelujah, God is great. And so he looked at that little boy and uh, he stopped him, interrupted him. He said, what are you yelling about, young man? He said, the little boy said it one more time, this time changing it a little bit. He said, hallelujah, hallelujah, my God is great. And just shouting that, and he kept on going. And the man stopped him again and asked him why. And he, uh, the little boy turned to that little Bible that he had just been given to the lesson he had just learned and he turned it open to Exodus chapter 14 and he said that he read about that story of how God had delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and how he had done so by making the water of the Red Sea to part and all of the children of Israel, thousands and thousands of them were able to walk across the Red Sea on dry land And he said, I was just amazed to hear that. And it made me just want to shout, Hallelujah, hallelujah, my God is great. Well, that professor looked at him and sort of smirked and laughed a little bit under his breath. But the boy just kept going. Hallelujah, hallelujah, my God is great. So finally that science professor just stopped him one more time and he said, young man, can I explain something to you? All of this is easily understood through science because that wasn't the Red Sea. And in fact, originally they said it was called the Reed Sea, which is far far uh, uh, north of the Red Sea. And it's really just a marshy land. There's only about 10 inches of water at a normal time and that the children of Israel were easily able to walk across that marshy land during that time. There was no great miracle of God parting a Red Sea The little boy kind of thought, he scratched his head again, he opened up his Bible and he read it a little bit, and then it hit him, and he started shouting, hallelujah, my God is great, and the professor stopped him again and says, what are you doing, I just told you it wasn't God, it wasn't a miracle, it was just a normal, ordinary experience, And he said, listen, sir, I don't know about you, but the Bible here says that he made the most powerful nation on the earth drown in that water. And if he can do that with just 10 inches of water, hallelujah, hallelujah, my God is great. (laughs) Well, as you look at that, there's a lot of people out there today who are trying to explain away the miracles of Scripture. They're trying to make it seem as if there is no great God, there is no wonderful work that he's doing, and that all of it is just easily explainable by normal, ordinary experience. Well, I want you to know something. Even if every miracle could be somehow explained by science, who invented that? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! My God is great! Amen? But some people are unwilling to admit And some people struggle with faith. They have such a hard time believing the simple truth that there's a God who created the world and that that same God loves you and cares for you and wants to work in your personal life in a powerful way today. I'll be honest with you, I've often wished that God would send some great miracle, especially when my faith... Is wavering. There have been times in my life where I have felt like the Father in Mark chapter 9, and you don't need to turn there, I'm going to read just a verse out of that. uh, He asked Jesus to heal his son. And he said that he had asked the disciples to come and, and heal his son, but they couldn't do so. Jesus had been up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John and had what we call the transfiguration moment, where God sent Uh, Beings from heaven down to encourage Jesus for what he was about to face but in verse 23 it says everything is possible for the one who believes and that father cried out and said oh I believe but in verse 24 he said help my unbelief have you felt that way oh I believe God but help me because I've got some serious doubts. I know you created this world, and I know that my problems are smaller than that. But sometimes it just feels like I'm all alone. So God, I believe in you, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. That story, I think, gives us hope. It gives me hope to know that God works even in a weak faith. Because I believe faith is like a light switch on the wall, not a dimmer switch, but the toggle switch. You either have faith or you don't. And he says, even a tiny infinitesimal mustard seed of faith, even the smallest amount of faith is enough for God to work. And so sometimes I have to cry out, oh Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I need you now. I need you to help me so my hope is if you're feeling that, even right now, as you look at the world and you see the uh, catastrophic nature of crisis in our country, or you, uh, in your own personal life, have something that feels just as devastating, that you can stand before God and just humbly say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that by the end of this message, I hope we can all say, hallelujah, my God is great. In order to do that, though I want us to turn to an Old Testament story from the book of Exodus, taking a cue from that little boy in that story. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 19. This was uh, after Jesus delivered, or God rather delivered the nation of Israel through the Red Sea, and they were already out in the wilderness, and they had already had some miraculous experiences of God. He had fed them with manna from heaven. He had brought water from a rock and he had protected them from an attacking nation called the Amalekites. And after he did all of that, we get this as they come to the the mountain where God gives Moses the 10 commandments. And beginning in verse one of Exodus chapter 19, it says, In the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. So it's been three months now. Now think about yourself right now and where you're at. And now think about where you might be in three months. Today is June 14th. September 14th. What might be happening in your life in three months? You know, maybe something miraculous will take place today. But then you'll have three months of life Three months of struggles, three months of the attacks of Satan, three months of need that you'll have to cry out to God to meet. And will you still have the same faith that you have today? Or maybe three months ago you would say, boy, I just really had a strong faith. And then the COVID-19 showed up. And then there were riots in the streets and you sat there and wondered, is God even awake? What's going on? But the truth is, God is there for you. He's there for you from now, for the next three months, the next three years, and the next 30 years, and 3,000 years, if this world should last that long. In verse 2, it says, They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Now, don't think about this as just any ordinary mountain. This is Mount Sinai. This is a special mountain. It was the mountain that God would come and meet man in the person of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. When he came down from that mountain, his face glowed being in the presence of God. Wouldn't you like to meet God that way? Wouldn't it be fun just once (laughs) to be able to go in to a place, uh, to go up to a place and, and just so feel the presence of God that you come down glowing? Now, I would say that I've had those kinds of meetings with God proverbially, Not literally. I've never come down with my face glowing unless I was out in the sun too long. (laughs) But wouldn't you love to see that? But I want you to know something. Your God is great. And you can experience that every day that you go into your inner closet and pray and seek his face. And he will be there for you. Now in verse three, it says, Moses went up the mountain to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob. And explain to the Israelites. Verse 4. These are the key verses I want us to see today. Verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I carried you on eagles wings. And brought you to myself. Now if you will carefully listen to me. And keep my covenant. You will be my possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine. And you will be my kingdom of priests. My holy nation. These are are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So it says in verse 7 after Moses came back he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded them or commanded him. Then all the people responded together, "We will do all the Lord has spoken." So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. And at that point he received the commands. You know, I think that a lot of us today might say that we are experiencing our own exile in Egypt. Not literally. I've never been to Egypt. Anybody ever been to Egypt? I've never seen it, except on video. But essentially, we are living in our own Egypt. What was Egypt to the Israelites? It was a place of suffering. Uh, At first, it was a place of salvation from a a terrible uh, famine in the land. They had gone down there to escape this famine and it was by God's plan because he eventually also wanted to deliver them. Uh, 400 years after they first went, they were in incredible suffering. Many of the great pyramids that you see or the sphinx in Egypt most likely were built during this period of time when the Israelites were there. Possibly some of them built some of those things and they were being forced to work. They were slaves in the land, literally. Literally. And they cried out to God for a deliverer and God sent Moses and he brought about a deliverance through a miraculous event. And then there was a Passover event and that foreshadowed the coming of Christ because on that Passover, that 10th plague that we find was the death of the firstborn son throughout the land. But God warned them and said, look, if you will just take a lamb, sacrifice it, take its blood and sprinkle it on your doorpost, then I will pass over that house and your son will be saved. And it was meant to show that God would protect our sons by bringing a Passover lamb. Jesus ended up being that sacrifice. And it's still true, God is still here for you and he still wants to deliver you out of your very own Egypt, out of your suffering, whatever that may be. In verse four, look what it says here. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This phrase, carried on eagle's wings, it's clearly a metaphor for something. What is he talking about? Well, I looked it up and found that a mother eagle will, at the time that their baby eaglet is ready to fly, the mother eagle will take that eaglet and put her on or put him on her back and she will fly out and, and then she will just suddenly release it, essentially just letting the eagle fall. <laughs> And I'm sure if you're that eaglet at the time, you're probably scared to death the first time this happens. Whoa, what's going on, Mom? I can just imagine, you know, some cartoon maker putting this together. This would be a lot of fun and funny. But in reality, it's not very much fun when you feel like you're falling, free falling to your death. And some of you might feel like that right now. And what it happens then is the eagle drops the eaglet and allows it to fall. And then just before it's too late, that eagle will come in and capture that little baby eagle on her back, on eagle's wings, and lift her up to safety. And what he's saying is, just like that, I will protect you, I will catch you, I will save you from devastation, from destruction. So if that baby eagle is... a Someone that God loved enough to make a process for that baby eagle to survive. Isn't he going to take care of you? Isn't he going to watch after you? But notice that this is all a part of a process. Uh, Eventually that baby eagle is going to be dropped again. And then again until finally it is able to exercise its own wings and fly. And God wants that for you. When he says that just like I carried the eagle on my wings, I'm carrying you just like an eagle carries the baby on its back. God is here ready for you. The Bible promises us over and over again, he's here to rescue you. Rescued, he rescued the, the people from Egypt. He, he swooped in and lifted them up on eagles' wings. Uh, they were out in the desert after that and had nothing to drink. And he swooped in and brought water forth from a rock. They were out in the desert with nothing to eat and he swooped in and provided manna so that they might live. And then they were attacked by the Amalekites and, and he swooped in with a battle plan that as long as Moses' hands were, hands were lifted up with the rod of God in his hands that he would protect them and watch over them. And they defeated maybe the second most powerful army after having already seen God destroy the first most powerful army. And God protected them. And over and over again, all throughout scripture, he makes the same promise to us that if you will just trust me, if you will just believe in me, if you will just have a mustard seed of faith that I'm here for you, then he will swoop in and he will preserve you and save you. Now, you know what? There are people all throughout history, Christians all throughout history, that that salvation did not equate to saving their physical life. But know this, that you will be taken to heaven where he will save you for an eternal life. And he's always faithful to do so. If you just trust him, he will deliver you from your own Egypt. But I want you to know that that's the promise of God. You might be living in the midst of your own Egypt, but he will let you experience your own exodus. Your own exodus. Your own moment when God will finally bring you through whatever he's bringing you through. It might be a a healing story, of a physical sickness, we're praying for that for my father-in-law right now. We ask you to do the same. My father-in-law is in the hospital as we speak. He's in serious condition and we ask you to to pray for him because I want to see him physically healed. I love my father-in-law and I want to see him physically healed, but more importantly, I want through this experience to see him spiritually healed. So pray for that first before anything else. But until his mind can be right again I don't see how that can happen. Sometimes I say to God, I believe you can save, but help my unbelief, because it doesn't seem like you will save him. But I want you to know, he can and he will. If Ray would only be willing, and I pray for that. I want to tell you the story of Hannah Peterson. She's a woman from Ontario and was going to have her wedding back in 2016. She had a car accident one month before her wedding. In that accident, she broke her pelvis in three different places. She punctured a kidney, she broke some ribs, she had a concussion and a partial hearing loss. And as a result of all of this, for a period of time, she was confined to a wheelchair. Well, she didn't want to affect the big day, which was August 25th of that year. So Hannah's father had to wheel her down the aisle. They still went through with the wedding plans. And then partway down the aisle, her fiance came down and picked her up and carried her to the altar. She said this obviously, being in a wheelchair and not able to walk was very upsetting for me on my wedding day. She sat during most of the ceremony because there was no way she could ever stand, she just was not strong enough. But she made the decision before the ceremony began before the day even came that she would stand for her vows. And so in that time, her fiance, who had brought her down the aisle and placed her back in the wheelchair for most of the service, lifted her up and held her with all of his strength and none of hers. And they shared their wedding vows. She said this, Stuart has never left my side during all of this, He was very strong for both of us. He always made me see how blessed I was. And as I tell you that story, to me, that's the perfect picture of God delivering us in our own personal Exodus story. You might be living in Egypt and suffering, wondering, is there a God who can deliver you? Yes, there is. Just know that he's there, and he'll help you with the rest. And he will lift you up as if you are an eagle lifting you up on eagles' wings. Again, verse five. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant. You hear that? Listen to me and keep my covenant. You will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. What he's saying there is, I'm gonna make you special, a chosen people. In verse six, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say the Israelites. And while Moses spoke them to them, God is speaking them to us today. He resolved on that day to follow through and he obeyed God and he shared it. And the people on that day came forth and they said in verse seven, we will do all that you have commanded. Now we know that they didn't fully follow through on that. And sometimes you and I don't, even after you trust Jesus. And part of being saved isn't just getting saved so you can get a, a ticket free out of hell It is also a commission, a plan to go and be someone, to do something, to obey, to listen, to follow. And God wants to lift you up and he wants to carry you forth so that you can then become his royal priesthood, his holy nation. But we have a job to do in order to fulfill that covenant, to be a faithful bride. We have to stand with him even though he may have to be holding us up. We have to be obedient children to obey, but in obeying, we honor our heavenly father and God rewards us. And that's the third thing I want us to see out of this. You might be living in your own personal Egypt, suffering. You might understand though, that God wants to deliver you with your own personal exodus. He wants to restore you and pull you out. You have a purpose to fulfill, but in the end, we are awaiting our own personal eternity. In 1941, Violet Bale and her fiance, Samuel Booth, uh, were taking a leisurely walk through the English countryside, and they were deeply in love, engaged. They had just recently been engaged, and as she walked through the countryside, she loved how the the sun would sparkle off her glittering diamond ring that she loved so much. And they continued on and they got a little warmer and maybe a little testy with each other and they began to dispute some things and started to argue and actually got into a full-blown fight. And you know how that is when you're so emotional because of the joy, sometimes the emotions on the other side can be intensified. Well, she got so angry, she took that ring off and she flung it out into a field. And immediately regretted what she had done. And so they went out and they started looking for it everywhere they could. The field she threw it into had grass that was knee high. It hadn't been mowed or cut in a long, long time. And they looked for hours for that ring. And they were so upset. And she felt so guilty. Well, that didn't stop the two from being married. They did finally end up getting married. They had to get a new ring and they had never found that ring. For years, though, they told that story. It was kind of one of those stories. In the moment, it was intensely uh, saddening and, and uh, disheartening. But later on, it kind of became a funny story that they would tease each other about. And so they told that story to their children. And then when their children grew up and had their own kids, they told it to their grandchildren. And they had a grandson. And uh, his name was Samuel. Samuel just after his grandfather, and his grandfather eventually died. Fifteen years later, Samuel had an idea. He began to think about it, and he went out and bought a metal detector, and he found the field that they said that they were walking next to, and you can guess what happens next, right? He goes out with the metal detector and looks for hours, and finally, that noise as he picks up the ring because it detected the metal, he takes it home and has it nicely cleaned and a jeweler takes care of it to bring it and restore it back to its original state. And then he was able to present it to her 15 years after her, after her husband had died. That treasured ring came back home in 2008. I want you to know sometimes you and I make some mistakes, don't we? We get a little disheartened with God. We're frustrated looking at our life circumstances, wondering, does he really care? You might even be tempted to just fling the whole relationship into a field and say, forget it, that's over. But know this, that God is there. God loves you, even in the midst of your disappointment with him. And he's just waiting for you to return to him. And he will take you back and he will restore that relationship and re your faith in him if you just ask for it. If you just say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm here for you. I've got a purpose. I know you've called me for a reason. You've made me for the purpose of living for you, of, of serving you and sharing the message of the gospel with others for you. And so I choose this day to trust you, to believe that you will save me, that you have picked me up, that you have called me, that you have chosen Me, And I want you to know something, that if you know that God has chosen you, you know that you have been elected by God. You say, well, that's a strange word to use. Yes, it is. So there's a doctrine in scripture called the doctrine of election. You know, election that we participate is when you pick from amongst a selection of candidates and you vote for one over another. You pick one. Why? Well, you might have all kinds of reasons. You don't know who they are and someone told you, vote for that guy or vote for her. <laughs> or they are most aligned with your belief systems or the other one said something horrible you don't like and you'd never let that person into office so you're going to vote for her instead. It happens different ways. But I want you to know in this case, you and I choose God because he has saved us and he knew that you would, I would pick him. And so before time even began, it says that he picked you. You are elect. You are chosen. But you aren't just chosen for your own personal benefit. You are chosen for God's benefit. And just as it says here in Exodus chapter 19 verse 5 and 6, now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine, he says essentially in that verse, I have chosen you. You are elect. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. What does that mean? A kingdom of priests. A priest is a go-between, a representative between people and God. The priest goes to the people with a message from God. And he goes to God with the sacrifice and the desire for forgiveness. Jesus is our great high priest. But he says, you and I, we are a nation of priests and our job is to go out into all the world and share a message from God to the people and to bring those people in our prayers back to God and to bring those people back to God in a witnessing relationship where we tell them about Jesus and say, you come and you make yourself that holy sacrifice unto God. That's the thing that fits. That's your reasonable service. And I heard one person explain the doctrine of election like this. It says that, It's like being trapped in a cave. Imagine a whole group of people being trapped in a cave and there's only one tiny little exit. Not everyone would fit through it. Someone like me has no hope of getting out of that cave. But some tiny, small, little person, like maybe a child, could then be lifted up through the hole and pushed out of the cave. And so that happens. And all the the first responders are there waiting, trying to find out some way to get them all up out of the cave and then that little child or that little person comes through the hole. Now they have a choice to make. In that moment, they could decide, you know what, I've been saved, I'm okay. I can be taken off to safety, be cleaned up, be fed, and I'm okay. I won't perish in that cave. Or they can say to all of those who are there ready to rescue the others, there are more people down there, you have to go back and save the rest of them too. You have to find some way to feed them until we can do it, to send them water, to maybe put clothes and blankets to keep them warm until we can figure out a way to get them out. See, that's what election means, that all the people decided we're going to pick this one to save the rest of us. And God has picked each one of us to save the rest of us to go out and share the gospel message, to present it to others. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says it like this, for you have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. It's not your works that did it, God did it. It's not because of how good you are, it's because of how good and perfect he is. But then in verse 10 it says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus us good works which god prepared ahead of time for us to do before the foundations of the world were created before the sky sun and moon was separated from the earth before god even said let there be anything he said let there be a person a people of my choosing which are called for my purpose who are called by my name to share my message, to give it to my people and to let the whole world know so that we can be standing out on our street corners, shouting out to the whole world to say, hallelujah, hallelujah, my God is great. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.